Hello, good evening and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, Irish fishers and trawler owners step up their campaign for fair EU quotas and we visit a newly refurbished waterway on the River Shannon. Earlier this week, the fishing communities of Ireland came to Dublin to launch a short film called Exploiting Irish Fishermen and to Meet Politicians. The film shows how bad a deal our coastal communities get from the EU. Here's a short clip from it. What what we fail to realise sometimes is that fish are our national asset. They're a national asset to this country. And it, it is quite bizarre that 85% of fish caught in Irish waters is caught by foreign vessels and only 15% of fish within our own waters is caught by Irish vessels. Now this is in monetary value, billions of euros. This is not about fishermen. This is more than coastal communities. This is your resource. This is Ireland's resource. This is for our future generations. And we have to stop it. Ireland has the richest fishing grounds in Europe. But other countries from the continent of Europe, namely France, Spain, Belgium, Holland, Portugal, Denmark even, Poland, are coming to our waters to take our quota, our share of our natural resource, back to their countries. The launch was in Boswell's Hotel, which is just across the road from Leicester House, and dozens of politicians of all hues came across to see the film and to pledge their support for increased fishing quotas. Sean Moroni is the filmmaker, and he told me what motivated him to make this movie. I'm living in Kilmore Quay at the moment. I moved my young family there five years ago. But before I went there, I didn't know much about fishing, Fergal. But what I've seen in five years has really compelled me to do something about it. The, the thriving industry that could be there if people were allowed to work. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw boats tied up for half the month. And I started to ask the questions, Kilmore Quay, why aren't you all working more? We'd love to be. We, we, we want to be doing nothing else. But they didn't have the quota. And then I became aware that the Spanish boats and the French boats and the German boats were fishing all the time, all month long. Nothing against, I've lived in Spain myself, nothing against the, the, the European nations. But it isn't right when you see our own boats tied up for weeks on end because they're out of quota. And then in the last few years when our piers have improved and the Spanish and French boats have started to land the fish on our own piers. You go to Castle Down Bear and you see on a Friday night a line of 20 lorries lined up. And from dawn on Friday morning and Saturday morning, the French and Spanish boats come in and 20 tonnes of fish per lorry is loaded straight from the boats into the back of the lorries and driven out of the country. Now that would be fine. The Atlantic Ocean is big. It would be fine if our boats had enough quota to fish all month. But the fact that our boys have to tie, tie up for months... Over, over the course of a year, it can amount to months. It's just not right. This inspired you to make this film. Tell me about the film. Exactly. Now, this particular film, I made it over a course of five months, and I travelled to the different ports, from Castletown Bear to Killybegs to Greencastle to Leenan to Kilmore Quay, 
and I got the opinions of the fishermen and I filmed live action of the fish being loaded from the foreign boats into the back of the, the trucks. I filmed not just the fishermen, but the support industries that depend on the fishing industry to survive. So engineering companies that hire one man there, 14 staff, doing nothing, only working on fishing boats. Boat yards, the same thing, the supermarket in Castletown Bear. And I became to understand that fishing, as one of them says, uh, Gerald Sullivan, the owner of Bear Island Boatyard, he says, the fishermen are our paymasters. And unless fishing is going well, he said, we can't go well, we can't invest in our businesses for the future. So I really got to understood, and it's in my hometown now of Kilmore Key, it's the very same. The industry pays for everything in the, in the, in the community. Your film is called Exploration Fishermen for 35 years, I see. Look at, what do you, and what do you mean by that? Uh, effectively, the EU were ahead of us. When we joined the European Economic Community, as it was in 1973, I think as a country we didn't understand the value of the resource we had off our waters. We understood what farming was. We weren't making a whole lot of money out of farming, but nonetheless everybody was involved in it. Uh, as one of the contributors in the film, John Nolan, says, seven of our, out of eight jobs were in farming. So we jumped at the chance to join a community that would give us farm subsidies and would grow our farming industry. What we didn't realise is we paid a very, very dear price for that. We handed over our own waters, Irish waters that we really had only had sovereign control of for 50 years since the formation of the state, as Niall Duffy in the film says. We handed that over to the European Union. They took control of managing the quota in those waters. They gave us a very small share of it. So we had very poor quotas in the beginning. We didn't really miss them in the early 70s because we still had the small boats. Now, as we've had to get the bigger, safer boats, we still have the tiny quota. So every time we want to get in one proper, big, safe boat, we have to take out four or five small boats because that's all that we have quota for. And it's very unfair. What do you think, after doing all this research and all this work, should happen? Government, we have been told about this for years, but very little, if nothing, has happened. Very little, Fergal, has happened. More quota needs to be got. There has to be a bit of fairness. It's just something we're taking lying down, like... The French would not sign over a portion of their vineyards to us just because we're all Europeans. The Spanish wouldn't give us a portion of their beach income or their tourism income just because we're all Europeans. We've just been far too soft. We've said, ah, sure, look, at that was the way it always was for 50 years. There's a review of the common fisheries policy coming up next year. We have to make it a red line issue that Ireland needs a fair share. If we want to see your movie, we can see it where? It's online at The Fisher's Voice. So it's online on Facebook at The Fisher's Voice and it's online at uh, The Fisher's Voice on YouTube and it has been shared widely by The Skipper and The Marine Times and others. So I hope everybody in the country will get the chance to see it. Father John Joe Duffy is curate in Creasla and a native of Burtonport in County Donegal. He's long been campaigning on this issue and he was at the launch this week. Fishing communities are finding themselves in a hopeless situation at the moment, particularly in uh, Donegal, where I come from and where I can speak for best. There has been a huge loss of fish uh, in the payback uh, from the European Union to the United Kingdom in the Brexit negotiations. Uh, Donegal uh, will have lost uh, on landing value over 20 million worth of a mackerel. Uh, I would estimate uh, at the moment, and uh, value added that, you're going towards 100 million of a loss in Donegal, which is affecting not only the premier port of, uh, in Donegal of Kitty Beggs, but a lot of other areas that are dependent on fishing. Um, the smaller uh, 
uh, villages and towns uh, around Donegal are going to suffer as a result of this uh, from a knock-on effect. Mm. What is the mood of people there? What are they saying to you about all of this? People are very annoyed and very angry at their politicians for not standing up for fishing and that's what I'm hearing time and time again. Uh, People are very annoyed uh, uh, that a national natural resource has been handed away hand over fist and small communities uh, small fishing communities are disappearing uh, such as where I come from uh, Burton Port which was a very vibrant fishing community in the past uh, fishing is almost non-existent in Burton Port really? really over how many a period of how many years over a period of the last uh, 25 years uh, Burton Port, fishing in Burton Port has almost disappeared I remember Burton Port being a very vibrant Port uh, through the 80s. Um, uh, my parents uh, wouldn't want me to be going down onto the pier because it was so busy with forklifts, lorries, cars. There was hundreds upon hundreds of people employed in the factories uh, through the winter time, and there there's only a handful of people being employed uh, in the one factory that is left. And in the past, there was four or five. Okay, but what's so that done then to the, to the town? It has taken the heart out of it. It has ripped the heart out of the village of Burtonport and the surrounding areas. Uh, fishing give life not only to the fishermen, not only to the people in business who were gaining from it, but it give life to the community. It was the heartbeat of the community. Um, it has become a very lonely place uh, in my lifetime, and I'm 46 years of age, and it's very sad to see since we entered the European Union, sadly, our small coastal community have been wiped out. Brenda Byrne is new Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Fish Process and Exporters Association in Donegal. I'm saying clearly that 48 years of membership of the EEC and the EU has cost us dearly. We are a maritime nation with 12% of the EU waters, but yet we're a minority shareholder in those waters in the sense that we only can catch 15% of the fish stock there and the other 85% of the fish stock that's caught is given to our EU partners. It's a scandal. But this has been going on for years and successive Irish government successors, ministers for the Marine have gone to Europe and came back empty-handed. It's gone on for successive years, but it's deteriorating rapidly. The Brexit-TCA agreement was the final straw. It took 15% of our quota, which was already at that stage a very narrow quota compared to France, Belgium, even Germany has a higher quota than Ireland. When you do an analysis of how we are performing at European level, we're in an embarrassment. Yeah. Now, that is something that fisher representatives have said to me over the last couple of years while I've been doing this programme, that we're not banging the table as Europe, we're just taking whatever we're given. The attitude and approach of the department is unbelievable. Whether that's a political fault or permanent government fault, we'll leave that debate for another day. But we're outpaced, we're outfoxed and outmanoeuvred at every step of the way at European level. And what you saw in the demonstrations in Cork and in Dublin was the sector saying that we've had enough of this failure. We had enough of this failure and that the resource that is around this island, the fish stocks, that's a national resource and we're not getting our fair share of it. Particularly in this government in terms of the Minister for Marine, Charlie McConnell-Logue, he has to listen to the vibe. He was meeting you just the other day? He met us the other day. He remained in my view, far, far too silent when the Commissioner was there. He did not champion the Irish case, but he has, and we are challenging him directly.
We are challenging him to stand up for Ireland. You met the EU Commissioner for Fisheries in Keelybegs on Monday. What did you say to him? I said exactly what I and, said. And was he listening? He continuously says to us, and he said it to us, your national government has greater flexibility in this than what they're exercising. That's what I'm saying. That's what the entire fishing community are saying when they took to the streets of Cork and Dublin. This can't continue. Why can't it continue? Because if it's allowed to stay on the trajectory that it is currently, there will be no fishing industry in Ireland in the next 15 years. Ronan Sheehy is a fisherman and boat owner from Baltimore in County Cork. There, fishing has been in decline for many years, but people are still attracted to the business. There are some young kids and young people that want to get into the industry all the time. And, you know, we have quite a few younger guys from the locality working with us. The problems that we have is giving them the level of security they need to maybe go and get a mortgage or maybe okay. settle down and stuff. They, they, they tend to move back into construction and things like that. It's just, it's so uncertain, the fishing industry in Ireland. It's um, month to month, you don't know, is your quota going to be good for October? Is it going to be bad for November? Because when you own a trawler, you go off fishing, how does the quota system work month to month? The producers organisation and the quota management committee, they sit, have a meeting there towards the end of each month and basically this is the Irish quotas. We work on a month to month system for our white fish quotas so on a given month you could have, for example, I think for the month of October, it's four tonne of haddock, three tonne of monk, 15 or 16 tonne of prawns and that's what you have for the month and you go out and you catch it and that's it and you know if you catch that in two weeks that's it you're tied up for two more weeks until the next quota management period um, it's not easy when you're sitting places like Castletown Bear looking at hundreds of trucks going over the road and you know, the Spanish yeah, flags. So they operate a quota on a different system. They do, yeah, they do. Their, their system is quite different to ours. The bottom line is they have more quota than they can catch and we don't have enough quota for our fleets. And I think that's why we're all here today with this documentary is to just highlight these issues and maybe highlight the fact that it's not just about the boats and the fishermen at sea, it's about our communities. And like, look, you said you know Baltimore and Baltimore is a very vibrant, great place to live. Nothing bad to say about my home. But it's... Great from May until September and, you know, other than that, there's not a lot other than fishing mm. and marine activity. You have the, from October until March, April, that's that's what people okay. depend on. And, you know, my family, we're, we're, we're running four boats with some um, some partners we have in a couple of the vessels and, you know, we're, we're very proud of them. We're very proud of the employment we create. We've, we've, we kind of have 35 people working on our vessels. And, you know, they always give the factor BIM and them three to five jobs ashore are created by every job at sea. So, I mean, in a place like Baltimore, we're getting up to 150 jobs that you can put down to the fishing industry. And it's, it's, not, it's not all about just catching fish and landing it. There's the service industry, there's the diesel, there's the local shops, there's bushes, there's Jacobs, there's cotters, you know. And I, I think we could really, 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 um, you know, create a lot more stability in our coastal communities if we just had, you know, I suppose, look, if we had the balls to go to Europe and say, we're getting treated very poorly here for decade after decade after decade. All we want is a bit of fair play. There's flagged fleets out there fishing on our doorstep and they can't catch all the fish they have allocated to them. Why can't we have that? Why can't we have that? It's just a very, very simple ask, you know. I just wish, you know, in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm not that old, but I just really do wish that we'd find somebody or somebody will go over to Europe and say, this isn't right. 
and we need to readdress this. We need to we need to keep people in our coastal communities. That's that's what we need. It's just you know maybe someday. I hope you know. And as Sean Maroney said, that movie is widely available free on the internet. Just type in Exploiting Irish Fishermen. Malik Weir on the River Shannon links East Galway to West Offaly and it's been reopened following a restoration project by Waterways Ireland. The weir had been closed for a number of years due to severe storms. Mike McCarthy was at the opening last week and he started his journey at Malik Pier. He first met the Minister for Local Government and Heritage, Dara O'Brien, who along with Minister for State, Malcolm Noonan, opened the restored weir. Well, we're here today to officially open and acknowledge the, the restoration of Mealik Weir. Uh, over 3 million, 3.2 million that government have put in for the restoration here to create the new walkway between the three counties as well. I think this is will real potential for it to be a destination area in as well. So it's a very significant day uh, here to recognise the investment, all the work that's been put in, more importantly, by all of those in Waterways Ireland and, and the team here who did incredible work to restore the weir here. We're going to visit Victoria Lock as well, a lock I actually went through myself in the summer on my own holidays. And uh, I think a lot of people in Ireland have, have rediscovered our country over the last couple of years and have seen how beautiful it is. Not that I was ever in question, but discovering our waterways, like discovering the Shannon here, discovering places like Mealick here and Victoria Lock. And as you go further south here, south of Banagher and all the way down toward Killaloo, we've, we have plans for the Shannon, as you know, to the Shannon Master Plan. Uh, it's it's a, quite a unique uh, place, the Shannon. It's important from a... From a European perspective as well, how many foreign visitors we have in who are able to enjoy our water courses here. So it's a really good, a really significant day. We see the key restoration, the weir restoration here as well. And we'll visit Victoria Lock that was built in the 1840s and is still more than operational, probably busier than it's ever been. Charlie Killeen is the chairman of the Mealik Lusna Walkway Restoration Committee. Living locally, Charlie has long memories of the weir and what it represents. The original weir was just a service area, a single rail and two planks. And the purpose of the weir was that the people could... The weir itself was a series of boards, and then you had 12, the 12 big gates here at this end. And we weren't always allowed in there. In the early years, uh, we had to illegally get in. We found our own way in with a few. Anyone that was fairman then would know about the platter teeth are the harrow teeth, so we drove a few of them into the walls and we made an artificial ladder up along the old wall there at the end of the weir and we got in. But then in, for the last maybe 20 years we were allowed in through the door to push a protective gate to keep animals from getting in on the weir and uh, look, at we all fished there. Uh, we went over to Victoria Lock to swim because it's a deep place to swim if you're a good swimmer. And we all have ha- very, very happy memories of the old weir. Unfortunately, the old weir was damaged with the big flood in nine. We weren't allowed in there because it was unsafe and it remained unused and we didn't know anything about the plans in it for eight or nine years. But in those years, we mounted our own campaign to have it restored and today is the day that we have achieved success. It was a fairly long campaign because um, we certainly didn't realise it was going to cost over three million. We thought maybe a million might do it and that could be easily got but of course eventually 
they got enough money together and of course they had to go through planning and all the rest and this process of rebuilding the weir we have, the new weir, took about three years because they only could work for about three to four months each year. The spawning ended on the 1st of June and then on the two years they were working there you had high levels of water levels came up in September and they had to stop work early in the year. Down at the weir, project manager Deirdre Filoni, a senior engineer with Waterways Ireland, describes the layout of the restored weir. We're standing here just on the start of the sluice gates here uh, as part of the old weir structure just on top of the new walkway that we have here. We've restored the weir here and the walkway and improved sluice uh, operating uh, system here to make it much safer uh, for our operations crew to operate these uh, sluices for water management. The sluice gates, they regulate the navigation levels in Loch Ree and Loch Derg through Athlone and further on into Tipperary and the other part of County Galway. How was this managed when the weir was under reconstruction? Well, the works uh, were timed during the summer months, so it was naturally water levels were quite low. So uh, we were able then to control the water levels through the sluices here. They were always fully operational. It was one of the conditions during the construction is that they were accessible for our operations crew to regulate the water levels. There's also another bank of sluices over what's called a new cut um, and they were also used uh, during the works as well. So uh, there was sometimes when it was raining and heavy rainfall dur- during August times, uh, both for the last two years, it was difficult, it became tricky, and um, we just had to manage uh, the works as best we could, close the sluices, get um, plant machinery out onto the weir, open our sluices again. We worked very well, it was complicated at times, we were at the mercy of some of the weather, uh, but thankfully we got there in the end. No, it's about 300 metres long or so, is it? It is, that's correct, it's just uh, over 300, or just under 300 metres um, thankfully, it's uh, a lovely weir now, about two and a half metres wide, fully accessible for all abilities. Um, and now it, it's linking the, the two communities here of uh, Milik and Lusma uh, and going out to where the three provinces meet at Victoria Lock. So it's a really restoring a, a vital community asset as well as providing safe. Um, operating systems for our own waterways crew um, to manage and regulate our water levels. Aina Rowe is the regional manager with Waterways Ireland. Well, uh, the walkway on top of the weir was destroyed in the 2009 flood and the walkway served two purposes. It was a connection for the community of Mealick over to Lusman, and vice versa, but also it was vital for uh, the Waterways Ireland lads to be able to increase the height of the weir and hold back water in summer. Then in the 2016 flood, the walkway was completely destroyed and the Waterways Iron personnel were then putting in the weir boards from a boat. So when it came to actually renovating the walkway, uh, we decided to bring it up to the uh, 2020 standard, if you like, and 2021 standard. And we have a two metre wide walkway now that's open, accessible to the public. And we put in a series of tilting weir boards that are operated mechanically and allow greater uh, use and uh, access to the actual weir itself. It was built in 1790. It was a, a work of art for its time. When it came to doing the reconstruction or whatever, did you have to go and start from new for most of it? 
No, 90% of the weir was intact and it's amazing the skills and artisan skills that were used in building the weir and indeed Victoria lockdown below us here. Um, we put in new lock gates in 2017 and the masonry and stonework in both the weir and in the lock are absolutely pristine, top class condition. There was some work to be done at the toe of the weir where there had been scouring, but that would be expected with the flow of water over a weir. But uh, apart from that, the main work was in the tilting weir boards and in the new uh, 21st century walkway on top of it. The work had to be carried out during the summer months due to fishing constraints, so the window of opportunity itself was constrained. Darren MacDonald is an ecologist in the environment section of Waterways Ireland. We've been working with Inland Fisheries Ireland on delivering this project in relation to the fish passage issues. Um, We have a window of work for the work within the river, uh, which allows us to do in-stream works between July and the end of September. So we were able to do work outside of the river, but certainly anything within the River Shannon itself had to take account of movement of fish. So what we've done is we've delivered improved passage for eels, which are critically endangered species, as well as delivering improved passage um, for eel species through the existing fish pass, which is in the centre of the weir. You can see it as you're crossing over the boardwalk. So working in the river had to be delivered over a number of summer months, Uh, over a period of two to three years, which allowed us to complete the project um, on time, and it's uh, really great to have it open and functioning today. So for the local residents of Lusma in West Offaly and Mielik in East Galway, the weir is an ideal opportunity to attract tourism to the area. Charlie Killeen. Now we have a magnificent walkway, 365 metres long. It's linked in to the Victoria Lock. There's a walkway between the two and we have um, Martello Tower, which no one knew about at the very end of the weir, and that's now going to be developed and become a viewing tower. So all in all, you'll have an awful lot to see. Mike McCartney at the newly reopened Malik Weir on the River Shannon. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.